one of the things about being in a place, you know, for quite some time, like I've been, it's uh, hard to find good, funny stories. And uh, so sometimes on Wednesday nights, I use some of mine. Somebody said, you don't ever tell me any jokes. I said, the reason I don't is because when I tell them, then they get out and then you can't use them anymore. Um, but the danger is over the years that uh, you have stowed away some and, you know, you go back to that little place and you're always looking for new ones. And so uh, you have a tendency to go back to that little place where you have them and you use them in other places. So my Wednesday night crowd, I want to apologize because I think I've used this before, but uh, it's kind of like a, a good song. You can really say it or tell it more than once because it should be funny the second time. So I want you to get your tickle bone ready and just go ahead and tell your neighbor it's okay to laugh in church. Because God has a sense of humor. Tell him, God has a sense of humor because he knows who you are. All right? I came across this. uh, It's entitled, $50 is $50. A Morris and his wife, Esther, went to the state fair every year. And every year, Morris would say, Esther, I'd like to ride on that airplane. Esther always replied, I know, Morris, but that airplane ride costs $50, and you know, $50 is $50. One year, Morris and Esther went to the fair, and Morris said, Esther, I am 85 years old, and if I don't ride that airplane, I might never get to ride it and never have a chance. Esther then replied, well, Morris, that airplane ride costs $50, and you know what I always say, $50 is $50. Well, the pilot overheard them speaking to each other, and he said, folks, I'll make you a deal. I'll take you both up for a ride, and if you can stay quiet for the entire ride and not say one word, I won't charge you. But if you say one word, it's going to be $50. Well, Morris and Esther thought about it, and they agreed, and up they went. The pilot did all kinds of twists and turns, rolls and dives, but no word from the two was ever heard. He did all his tricks over again, hoping to hear some kind of something out of them, but still not a word. When they finally landed, the pilot turned to Morris and said, By golly, I did everything I could to think to get you guys to yell out, but you didn't, either one of you, say a word. Morris then replied, Well, I was going to say something when Esther fell out. But you know, $50 is $50. I think we would all agree he's a tightwad, isn't he? Yeah. I hope that's not indicative of all the husbands here in relationship to their wives, that you would speak out if your wife fell out. Now, the wives might not speak out if you fall out, but we should speak out if they fall out. Amen? That's what I thought. Anyway, you know, it's interesting how we we put our value and how we put our confidence and how we put our trust in our possessions. And Jesus knows how tempting it is for his disciples to be completely different than the world. And he has some beautiful insights in this wonderful narrative we call the Sermon on the Mount for his disciples. And he's calling them, he is challenging them to step up the plate and give their all for the call of Christ. To give their all, not just partial, but their all. We have been talking about the importance of being authentic in our faith and in our practices. And we have dealt with, for the past several Sundays in Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 1, all of the aspects about hypocrisy. 
And we have seen how there have been many different times in which Jesus has spoken to his disciples and to even us today about the importance of being authentic in our faith. And Jesus is now going to challenge his disciples and us today as his followers to give him an authentic commitment. And an authentic commitment, according to Jesus, is an answer to the call to give our all. We must be all in. You cannot be partially in. You've got to be all in, and you must answer the call of Christ and give him unconditional, total, complete commitment to him. And so that's what we're going to challenge us to today. And so as we take a look at this text, I want us to look at three things in answering the call. We're going to first of all see how this call is a cultivation. It's going to require cultivation. It's going to require concentration, and it's going to require consecration. So let's look at the first in cultivation. If we hope to answer the call and give our all to Christ and be all in for him, it's going to require that we cultivate our hearts. The Bible constantly and continually talks about the heart being something like soil, and it can be hardened. And the reason why it can harden is because that is where sin resides. It is where sin originates. And it's important for us then to continually, as his disciples, to analyze the soil, the condition of our heart, and cultivate our heart so that our affections for the Lord are what they need to be. Because if our affections of the heart, the affections of the heart, are not what they need to be for Christ, guess what? We're going to value the wrong things, and we're going to invest in the wrong things, and we're going to basically waste our life in the pursuit of the earthly rather than the eternal. That's what he's saying to his disciples, I want you to invest in that which is eternal, not that which is earthly. So far, we have described several quests that these hypocrites are on. They're in the quest for recognition, for the affirmation and the approval and the applause of man, haven't we? We've been talking about that for several Sundays. We saw it in the, in the aspect of giving, that they give not because of their heart condition that wants to give, but they're giving to be recognized, to be affirmed, to be applauded, to be approved by man. That's why they're giving. We then saw the aspect in the Sermon on the Mount about their praying. The reason they stand on the corner streets and they pray out loud for everyone to hear is they want the affirmation, the approval, and the applause of man. The reason why they forgive is because they want the applause, the approval, and the affirmation of man. And we saw then last Sunday the aspect of fasting, and the reason they fast and they walk around looking as if they are suffering is because they want recognition, and in that recognition, they want the affirmation, the approval, and the applause of man. And Jesus said, if that's the reward you're seeking, that's all you get. That's hypocrisy. You're doing something spiritual in order to be affirmed, to be approved, and to be applauded by man. And Jesus is saying, I want you to focus now your complete attention on being affirmed, approved, and applauded by God. And in order to do that, you've got to guard your heart, for out of it are the wellsprings of life. Because it is out of the heart that comes every aspect about what we value and how we then invest our lives. So he talks about it in verse 9, 19. As he talks about it in verse 19, as we consider this whole concept about cultivation, I want us to first look at verse 19, that to cultivate my heart, I need to first of all resist that which is temporary. It's important that we resist the temptation to invest, to value those things where they're earthly and not the things that are eternal. Each and every one of us in this room this morning have a battle going on inside of us for the desire, for the 
the, um, the, the attainment of that which is temporary. It's just something that's innate within us. And the reason for that is because I think our hearts, because they're wicked, have a tendency to invest in the temporary instead of the eternal. And he says, I want you as my disciples to resist that which is temporary. Notice verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Notice the practice of the verse. He's saying that they are already laying up for them, as he is speaking, earthly treasures. They're already in the process of doing that, and he wants them to stop doing what they are presently doing. To go ahead and stop it. You know, it's one thing to stop doing something that you're not doing or to maybe put up some, some sort of barriers to prevent it from happening. But when it's already happening and we are then convicted of that, we have, then have a choice. Either we're going to stop doing it or we're going to continue to do it. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, I want you to stop investing in that which is earthly, that which is temporal. You're already in the process of doing that. That's the practice in this verse. Why are they doing that? Because their hearts are not right. There is a passion in their hearts for the things that are earthly, the things that are temporal, the things that are tangible, the things that we believe somehow that they're going to provide for us what we are lacking or what we are seeking, but the reality is we know that they don't. And yet, we're still pursuing them with this incredible passion. We're spending our time, our effort, our energy, our resources to attain these earthly things. Why? Because we're driven for the, with a passion to attain them. There's something within us that just wants to possess what the world is offering or what the earth wants to offer to us. Why would we do that? For what purpose? Notice in the word, yourself. So that we might spend it on ourselves. So that we might accumulate it for ourselves. So that we might then invest it in ourselves. The whole purpose for investing in earthly treasure is for yourself. It's not for others. It's not for the kingdom. But it's for yourself. To gratify the desires of the carnal nature within us. To waste them and to use them for ourselves. And when we accumulate for ourselves, guess what? Are we generous? Are we stingy? Stingy. Are we willing? Are we defiant? We're defiant. And so as a result of that, we tend to protect that which is for us. Like the guy who had $50 and he wouldn't yell out because he had in his pocket, he said, 50 bucks is 50 bucks, I don't want to get it out and give it to you. And so he remained silent even when his wife fell out. Why would he do that? Because it's his, and he doesn't want to let go of it. And so we have a tendency, according to Jesus, we tend to then place it in places where we think that it's protected, and we think that not only is it protected, but it will be preserved. But Jesus says, in spite of your best effort, the problem with earthly treasure, it's, you, you can't preserve it. Moths will come, and they will eat it, Rust will come and decay it. Thieves will come and they will take it from you. And so therefore, it's not only not able to be preserved, but you can't do anything basically to protect it. I mean, when you think about it, how many of us have ever seen, and I've said this before, and I know you've heard other pastors say this, have ever seen a U-Haul trailer tied onto a hearse being taken to a funeral somewhere and a gravesite? We just don't do that. Um, 
I think there was some, some guys in Egypt that tried that, and they built some pyramids. But guess what? What happened to all that? There were some guys that came along with the sharp instruments. They burst through those protective things, and as a result of that, were able to take them the treasures that they thought they would protect and preserve for their future kingdom. That's the concept here. Most of the people that Jesus was addressing were people that lived in houses that were made of mud or clay. And as a result of that, he's saying, no matter how much you try to protect what you accumulate and, and, and protect your possessions, you may put them in your house, but somebody's going to come along with a sharp instrument. They're going to dig through the clay and dig through the soil, and they're going to be able to get what you think is in a safe place. You can't preserve it, and you cannot protect it. So therefore, resist my disciples, the temptation to invest your life in that which is temporary. He then says, not only to resist that which is temporary, but he says then, reach for that which is eternal. Notice what he says then in verse 20. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. However, there's a transition here in the word but. And I'm going to change, Jesus saying, this contrast between those who are not my disciples because they're investing in earthly treasures, but you who are my disciples are to invest in eternal treasure. And he's saying, however, I want you lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. I want you to store up treasures in heaven. This is an imperative verb. It is a command from the Lord. It is an exhortation to his disciples. We are to store up treasures in heaven. In other words, we are then to do, to work, and to act as if we are placing our treasure in heaven for safekeeping and for safe storage. And notice in the little text too, he says in the imperative, but notice the verb is also in the present tense. And I think in his command, he's saying it Start now. Start now. Don't, don't wait till later. Don't wait till, till it's convenient or don't wait for an opportune time or don't wait when you think you can afford it or don't wait when you think that all of a sudden I'm tired of investing in earthly things, now I'm going to invest in eternal things. He's saying no. The command, the exhortation that he's saying is he wants us who are his disciples to start immediately immediately begin to work, to do, to act as if you're storing up rewards and treasures in heaven. Notice then the selection of the rewards. What are we seeking to do? We are selecting to do those things that meet the approval, the affirmation, and the applause of God, not man. Remember we talked about giving, we talked about praying, we talked about fasting. They were doing things in order to gain rewards from man, not the rewards from God. And as a result of that, they got what they were seeking, the reward from man, and that's all they got. He's saying here to his disciples, Jesus wants his disciples to seek the affirmation, the approval, and the applause from God in storing up things that God approves of, not things that he doesn't approve of, because those things that he does not approve of are things that are not going to accumulate rewards in heaven. And so he says, start now, select the proper things. Why? Because when you do, your rewards will be secure. How do you know that? He says, well, heaven rewards, heavenly treasure, notice, Neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. He's saying heaven rewards are preserved for all eternity. They will always last. They will never be rusted. They will never be decayed. They will never be destroyed. They can never be stolen. They are 
continually, constantly being protected, where even if Satan wanted to rob you of your rewards, even if a thief wanted to come and take them from you, he could not because they are safely secure and they are stored in heaven and God is preserving them. And one of these days, you will receive that inheritance, that reward, that well done, thou good and faithful servant. So he's saying he wants us then to resist the temporary but reach for that which is eternal. And in the process of that, in cultivating our hearts, it always sort of, sort of dawned on me as I was looking through this text that, you know, how do I do that? And Jesus answered that question for me in the next verse, in verse 21. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I thought about that for a minute, and I thought about, okay, he wants me to resist the temporary and to reach for that which is timeless, eternal, and, and there's, a, there's a struggle in my heart from the temporary to the timeless. The temporary and the timeless. Don't you know about that struggle? I ask, don't you know about that struggle? Come on now. You're no different than I am. Oh, well, maybe you are. Remember I'm perfect and you're not? No, I'm just kidding. All of us in here have that struggle. Because we live in a fallen world. And, and that's why we have commercials. <laughs> They're trying to get us to invest in the temporary. Uh, Commercials aren't trying to get us to invest in the the timeless or the eternal. They're trying to influence our decisions and our choices. They're trying to affect the affections of our heart. And so when I take a look at this text and I look at verse 21, I think, okay, in this struggle, there seems to be some sort of reconciliation. There needs to be some sort of process by which I evaluate, is this Timeless or is this temporary? Is this timeless? And where do I do that? And there are times, honestly, when we must admit that our hearts are pursuing the things that are temporary. They're not pursuing the things that are timeless or eternal, right? And we must then make reconciliation with the Father, and we must reject those things that are temporary and invest in the things that are timeless, that are eternal, because we will, if we're not careful, follow the desires and the passions of our heart, which many times are carnal, and will bind to what the world is selling, and we will pursue the thing. And how do you know that? Guess what? Your heart is more transparent than you think. Let me say that again. Your heart is more transparent today than you think, because we think that we can sort of cover up and masquerade and hide the condition of our heart. But Jesus says, notice what he says in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's not saying that, that, that I'm going to put my treasure there and there's my heart. That's not what he's saying. You want to know where your heart is? Where is your treasure? And when you find the location of your treasure, it will reveal the position of your heart. For if you and I, as disciples, are investing more of our time, our talent, our, and, and all that we have in pursuit of that which is temporary, our heart will reflect that. But if we're investing ourselves more in that which is timeless and eternal, our hearts then will reflect that. And so then we need to look through a spiritual lens and analyze where we are spending all of our effort, our energy, and our resources in, and where we are spending most of our is it, is it temporary or is it timeless? Is it temporary time? You know, I'm, I'm, okay, I need, to, I, need to, I need to make the adjustment. And that's a, that's a constant pursuit of the disciple. Jesus knew that his disciples 
would have this problem with hypocrisy. And the hypocrisy of it all is, I'm, I'm investing all my resources in the timeless and pretend to do that when the reality is I'm investing everything in the temporary. And he says, no, 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 you need to constantly take a look because your heart will reveal where you are. You're more transparent, especially to God, than sometimes we even are unto ourselves. We may be able to fool others. We've talked about that. Or others may think, ooh, how spiritual they are. When God sees the secret place, he sees inside the heart, and he knows what and where we're investing because our treasures are transparent, and they're revealed each and every time where we're spending our lives. Now, some of us, I think, have a little bit of problem with this whole concept of reward. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 16. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. Let's, let's use this passage as just a little bit of an illustration this morning. Matthew 16, verse 24. You know, I think we as Baptists sometimes have a little bit of a hard time with this whole concept of rewards because we think it seems a little bit charismatic or a little bit what I, might, I like to call whack-o-matic. You know, we think that they're whack-o-matics, they're charismatics, they're over the deep end, and we shouldn't work for rewards. That, that's, that's not what God... Christ is saying that we should work for rewards, not temporary rewards, but timeless rewards. Notice what he says in Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus told who? His disciples. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Verse 20, 25. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Verse 26. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? You know, he spent all of his life in the pursuit of the temporary. For what, a, what shall a man give in return for his soul? Verse 27, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay each person, each person according to what he has done. What's going to happen? Jesus is going to return, and he is going to pay each person according to what he has done. I don't know about you, but that, that defines and describes rewards to me. Doesn't it? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25. 1 Corinthians 9, 25. I mean, 23, let's look at 23 first. 1 Corinthians 9, 23, the Apostle Paul says in verse 23, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing. In its, what's the blessing? There's going to be a reward. Verse 24, do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. What are we obtaining? A prize. Verse 25, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But what do we do it for? But we, an imperishable wreath. It's protected and preserved. Revelation twenty-two twelve. Jesus says, behold, I am coming soon. Bring my recompense with me. He is coming soon, bringing his recompense with me. With us, his compensation package for all that we've done and for all the effort that we put forth and all the work and all the sacrifice and all the denial and all of those things to repay each one for what he has done. To repay each one for what he has done. One of these days, there's going to be an accountability, an accounting process. And there will be an accountability for those who have not, but there will be an accounting for those who have. 
And for those of us who have, guess what? There are rewards kept in heaven for you. Not just our salvation, we already have that. I said it's not our salvation, we already have that. It's about the rewards that await those who are willing to die for Christ. There are rewards, and Jesus commands us, don't waste your life on the temporary. Spend your life on the timeless, on the eternal, for there are, maybe not in this life, the full, complete reward of what you're doing, but one of these days, you'll receive the full brunt of the blessing of not only your salvation, but all the the compensation for all that you have done. What a glorious day that's going to be. I said, what a glorious day that's going to be. Notice he said we need to cultivate the affections of our heart so that we might invest in eternity, not in the earthly. But notice, number two, the concentration that he calls for in the commitment of his disciples. He says to us, we must make sure that we focus our attention upon the proper things. Why? Because where we look (laughs) affects how we feel. I said where we look affects how we feel. The eyes are the windows of your soul. Notice Jesus says in verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. The eye is the lamp of the body. What is he saying? He's saying that as we look, it allows light into our souls, into our hearts, into our being, and it will affect the condition of the heart. And if I'm looking at the wrong things, that's going to affect the affections of my heart. If I'm looking at the right things, that's going to have an effect on the affections of my heart. So it's, it, it's, it's huge that I see and understand the importance of where I focus my attention, where I look. And I need to, like a lens... Like a lamp, I need to sharpen the focus of my lens so that I zero in on the things that are eternal, not the things that are earthly. Because if I gaze too long on the things that are earthly, guess what? I'm going to have a passion for that, and I'm going to pursue it. I'm going to waste my life. But if I focus on the things that are eternal, and if I get that lens and sharpen that, I mean, you're you're a photographer? Ever taken a... Picture out of focus, can't see too clearly. And he's saying that he wants us to see clearly. He's going to talk about that in a minute. To focus in on the things that are eternal, that are timeless, that are valuable, so that it then affects our hearts. Notice he says then second in verse 22, he says, So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. That's what he's saying. He was I want you to filter your eyes. Put a filter on where you look. Put a filter on it. Why do you put a filter on things? Different effects. And because you want a certain effect, you put a different filter on it, correct? And he's saying he wants us to put a filter on the lens of our eyes. How many of you wear contacts? Okay? You don't have your contacts on, how well do you see? You're as blind as a bat. Or maybe you don't see too clear. And he's saying, I want you to focus, notice, and I want your eye to be healthy. That's a beautiful word. I want your eye to be healthy. Healthy means that your eye is focused 
on the things that are eternal, the things that are timeless. That's what you're focusing on. You spend all your time over here in the things that aren't eternal, guess what? You're, you're done. But he wants us to spend our time on the healthy things and make sure your eye is healthy. The word healthy also here means simple. The things that are eternal are simple. Uh, the things that are eternal, uh, as we look at them, we see through the lens of discernment. And we could discern what is not eternal and what is eternal. And as we use the lens of discernment, notice the end result. What Jesus is basically saying here is that we will then have a spirit. You're not going to like this. But when we focus on the things that are eternal and we see things simply and we discern things, that means we are going to be, in our hearts, we are going to be generous. I said it. There's going to be a spirit of generosity. Why? Because you have everything in focus. You see that what man is accumulating and carnal man is accumulating or a fallen disciple is accumulating, all they're doing is spending their time on things that are temporal, and as a result of that, they're greedy, they're stingy, they hoard. I, I saw, a, a, I couldn't take my eyes off the other day. I was watching, flipping through the television yesterday morning, uh, yesterday afternoon, and, and saw a, a show on hoarding. You ever watch that? Those people are disgusting, man. There was one guy, he had like 50 rabbits in his house, just running rampant, and they had not cleaned anything, and rat, rabbit feces everywhere, and junk everywhere. They, they just hoard stuff. But a person who has a healthy eye understands that what I have been given, I have been given by the Father, and as a result of it being given by the Father, I then invest it in eternal things. Not in temporary things, but in eternal things. Why? Because I know one of these days as I do, there's a reward. The payoff is here on this earth, a heart of generosity, but there's a payoff in heaven. And he said, if your eye is healthy, your whole body, how much of your body? Your whole heart, your mind, your soul, your life will be filled with light. But not only will you be filled with light, but you will radiate light. And you will be a blessing because you are, you are being generous with it. God has entrusted to you. And you'll be a blessing to those around you. And so we must filter that which comes into our heart. But we not only should filter, but notice he says in verse 23, we must then fight the corruption of the heart. Because you see, the heart has the possibility of light but also the possibility of darkness. And he says in verse 23, but if your eye is bad, just on the chance, he begins to change now the context, whenever your eye is bad, your eye has a possibility of being evil. It has a possibility of looking upon things and seeing things through the lens of depravity. And when our eyes see through the lens of depravity, we then are then lusting after that which is evil. And the end result is our gaze is upon the things that will be temporary, the things of the world, the things that are temporal. And as a result of that, when we gaze upon those things that are evil and are wicked and are sinful and are hurtful and harmful to our commitment to Christ, the end result is, notice he says, What's the reward? What's the result? Your whole body will be full of darkness. It's kind of like having windows in your house and you close the shutters and you don't let any light in. 
and you're living in darkness. You're walking around like this because there's no light, there's no understanding, there's no direction, and you're wasting your life, building your life on possessing earthly, temporary, tangible things rather than the eternal, the timeless things of the Spirit of God. Then he says in the last part of verse 23, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness. Interesting as we read that, that there's this whole concept that Jesus is talking about here about the deception of the heart. Did you know that your heart is one of the most destructive aspects about your nature? You want me to say it again? Your heart is the most, what did I say? Huh? The most destructive, desperately wicked, carnal, vile, sinful aspect about you. Your heart is deceitfully wicked. And you can look at your heart and convince yourself that you're living in the light when in reality you're in darkness. Did you know that? You can seek to convince yourself of that, but deep down inside, he sees in secret the condition of the heart. And remember, the heart will reflect. If we have light and discernment, we can discern through the light where the darkness is, and light dispels darkness. And he's saying in this text, this interesting part, if we're not careful, we will operate in darkness, and we will deceive ourselves. Turn to Genesis 3. Genesis 3, beginning with verse 1. You know where I'm going. Some of you do. Genesis 3, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, are you sure you shall not eat any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. Don't even eat it, but don't touch it, because if you touch it, you will surely die. Verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of, your, uh, when you eat of it, notice what he says, your eyes will be opened What's that? Your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman, don't miss this, verse 6, so when the woman saw, what's she doing? She's looking with her eyes at the fruit, focused in. When she saw that the tree was what? It was good. Was it good? It was bad. How come with her eye, she saw that it was good? Is she enlightened or is she in darkness? She's under a deception because what looked bad now looks good. And she is being deceived. And as a result of that deception, notice what happens. It looked good for food, for consumption, and that it was a delight to the eye. It was a delight. Was it a delight? Well, you know, 
had she not done that, I wonder where we'd be today. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She saw it. It looked good. She wanted to consume it. And because of that, she desired it. So don't tell me where you look doesn't affect your decision process. You can't look at pornography and completely sell out to God. You can't covet someone's automobile, and I'm talking to myself because I've been looking at everybody's truck. You can't look at somebody's automobile and covet that. It just doesn't work. You can't look at your neighbor's wife and be all out for God. You can't look at this earthly treasure as something to possess at the cost of everything and follow him with your all. And we need to filter our eyes. Some of the garbage we see on TV, we need to turn off. Some of the things we read, we need to stop. Some of the places we spend our time gazing upon, we need to stop. Because it affects what we think, what we feel, and what we ultimately pursue. And the end result is disaster. One of these days we will stand before God, each and every one of us, and be accountable and be rewarded. Or we're each in the same race. Lastly, let's look at the concentration required, and we're going to close very quickly with this. We need to concentrate, consecrate our ambitions. We're all ambitious. There's nothing wrong with having a nice house. There's nothing wrong with having a new car. There's nothing wrong with having nice clothes. There's nothing wrong with having a career or a, an education. There's nothing wrong with those things as long as they're not our gods, as long as we're not investing everything in them for the anticipation and the pursuit of what they don't yield. We need to pursue eternal things. And there's a balance to this life. And he says concentration. Concentration starts with the right conviction. Notice in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. I want you to underline no one. That's you. I think there are some of us who think that we have a special dispensation from God and that we can live for God and live for self and we can, we can play this little battle right here. No one. Not you, not me, not anyone. Absolutely nobody can serve. Nobody can serve. This whole concept of serving is that of a demand for exclusion. It is no one can serve two masters. You can't serve both. There's a conflict, there's a competition going on between the spirit and the flesh, between Christ and Satan, between what's eternal and what's earthly. And in that, you can't serve both. You can't operate and live in both worlds as a Christ follower. It doesn't work that way. That's why Jesus says, stop it. Stop it. My disciples don't live that way. Stop it. No one can serve two masters. That's a conviction that leads to a conflict. And in that conflict, we need to step into the battle. For he says in verse 24, either, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. 
I don't know about you, but that says to me there's a conflict going on inside of me between the Lord and Satan, uh, the spirit and self, the, the Lord, the heaven, and, and, and the earthly rewards. There's a struggle going on. And we need to wake up to the fact that there are, there are competing voices, there are competing masters in our lives that are dying for our attention, and you can't be devoted to one, and, 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 and dis- you just can't. You're, you're going to either despise one or, or love the other. You're either going to serve one or hate the other. You, you, you just can't, and there's, there's so many of us, I, I think we're playing spiritual ping pong. And then we wonder why we're a wreck spiritually. Because one day we're over here in eternal things and we're all in. And the next day we're over here in earthly things and we're on to that. Oh, and we're back over here again. And we just constantly do this over and over in our lives. For he says in the text, you cannot serve God and money. You, who were my disciples, cannot. That is a double negative in the original language. There is no way, no way absolutely under any circumstance, there's no pretense, there's no argument, you cannot serve, you cannot be aligned, you cannot give your allegiance, you cannot be committed to God, that word God is theos in the the original language, God who is divine, who is sovereign, who reigns on his throne, the eternal holy one who has redeemed us by the blood of Christ and who has called us through the voice of Christ to follow him and to give him our all. We can't serve God and mammon. The word mammon is a word that originally meant something that controlled you or something that you put your confidence in. Later on, it it, it sort of became redefined as, as wealth or possessions. But you can't serve theos. You can't serve God. You can't serve the sovereign one and anything else other than God. You just cannot. So as Joshua said, as for me and my house, serve who you want. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Period. Interesting, I found this neat story about the two thieves, uh, two wolves, I'm sorry, the two wolves. Maybe you've heard it. A Cherokee elder was teaching his grandchildren about life. He said to them, a fight is going on inside of me. It is a terrible fight between two wolves. One wolf represents fear, anger, envy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, hatefulness, and lies. The other stands for joy, peace, love, hope, humbleness, kindness, friendship, generosity, faith, and truth. The same fight is going on inside of you and inside every other person too. The children thought about it for a minute and then one small child raised his hand and asked his grandfather, which wolf wins? Cherokee elder replied, the one you feed the most. Which one wins in this battle? Spirit? Or Satan? Self or the Lord? Who wins? The one you feed the most. And as we close, disciples. Who are you feeding the most? Are we all in? Into eternal things? Or were we investing in the earthly things?
As for me and my house, I hope you'll join us to serve the Lord. Because you can't serve two masters. You can only have one. And the one you serve is the one you feed the most, the one you yield to the most, the one you look to the most, the one you love the most, the one you obey the most. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the joy and the privilege that's been ours to be challenged by this incredible scripture. And in my struggle with this scripture this week, it, uh, it spoke to my heart and I pray that it speak to all of our hearts as you begin to weed out from the soil of our hearts any affection, any ambition, any attention that rightfully belongs to you. We can even be so deceptive that we will deceive ourselves into believing that we are where we need to be when the reality is that you who see in the secret places of our hearts know where we truly are. So God, give us discernment today. Open our eyes and shed light into our souls, into our minds, into our hearts, and let us discern the truth about everything and in every aspect in which we're spending our time and our life on earthly rather than eternal. Honestly, we live in a very earthly, very temporary world, and most of us work in a secular environment where it is hard not to invest a lot of our time and effort and energy into those things that are temporary. But I pray, God, that you would help us have insight today on how we might spend more time on investing in the timeless, the eternal, the values that count, so that in the end, we will not have wasted our lives on the temporal. Use us. Use this time for your glory. Your head bowed and your eyes closed as we end this time together in God's word. We enter into a time of invitation. You pray that God would bring light into your perspective, into your understanding, into your heart, your mind, your soul. Allow him to illuminate the places in your life where you're spending time, resources, more than you should on that which is temporary, that which is earthly. Treasures that you cannot protect nor preserve. And will you commit this day before our God, your Lord, to spend more time than you have been on the eternal, the timeless, on earthly treasures? No, but on heavenly treasures Ask him to reveal those places in your life in which he affirms, he approves, he applauds. And to reveal those things in which he does not. Because we all serve an audience of one. And I'm convinced that most of us spend more time feeding the wrong values and not the right ones. And if we would but do that today and every day, what could he do with us?
and what he's entrusted to us, the stewardship of life. In a moment, we're going to give an invitation, and we ask that if you've not placed your faith and trust in Jesus today, this is a great time to do that. We'd love to celebrate what God is doing in your life. What you're sensing right now is the Holy Spirit, I hope, saying that you need to trust Jesus today and give him your all. I know you know of people who have confessed him, and, but they've not given him their all, and they're bad examples of someone who is a disciple of Jesus. Because to receive Christ as Savior means that I give him my all. Without reservation, my all. Have you done that? Given him your all? I didn't ask if you were a member of the church or been baptized. But have you honestly, truly ever given him your be a disciple, you got to be all in. you got to get beyond the shallow and get into the deep. And be all in. Decision is easy. Buenos días, damos gracias a Dios por ese tiempo diferente, pero estamos aquí para adorar al Señor. Good morning, we'd like to give thanks to God for this morning, a little bit different, but we are here to worship God. Y bueno, damos gracias a Dios porque nuestro hermano Mateo va a obedecer al Señor y, y bajar a las aguas del bautismo en esta mañana. We want to give thanks to God because our brother, our brother Matthew is going to be baptized today, as the Lord has commanded us. Mateo, Brother Matthew, confiesa públicamente que ha aceptado a Jesús en su corazón. Do you confess publicly that you have accepted Jesus as Lord in Christ? Sí, lo hago. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Muy bien. Con la confesión pública de fe que nuestro hermano Mateo ha hecho y con la autoridad que he recibido del Señor y con la autoridad que la iglesia de Manuel me confiere, yo bautizo a Mateo en el nombre del Padre, del Hijo y del Espíritu Santo. I baptize Matthew in the name of the Son, the Father, the Holy Spirit, with the power of Jesus Christ appearing to me in the church. Muchas gracias. Thank you very much. 